have that mono running line, you lift up your rod tip. And if you want to slow down your fly, all you do is point the rod tip out into the river. That's going to slow it down. And because you have all that mono running line out of the water, it pretty much is like pressing the pause button on the, on the shooting head. You can hang it on the lie. And then if you're just coming onto the lie, move the rod tip back towards your own bank, hang it on the lie, and then you move it off. Chocolate biscuit syndrome. Want a chocolate biscuit? No, thanks. Put it up on the table and see how long it lasts. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. With the opening of the Blackwater on February 1st, on this week's episode, I caught up with Connor Arnold, the guide and casting instructor who we spoke to previously on the show, to find out how opening day went on the river and what we can expect over the next few weeks. Connor also has some good advice on how to tempt the early season springers, plus he tells me how he fared on his recent trip to Patagonia, where double-figure sea trout and hundreds of brownies made up his week's fishing down there. But first, here's Connor's update from the Blackwater opening day. Fortunately, um, there was no fresh fish caught. Um, not that heavy a rod angling effort either. Um, the guys that I had out, um, it was all Celts. Um, so a good few Celts caught. Um, some of them in fairly good condition. Um, not that silver, saying that they were late run fish, but we had really high water all over the winter. So it was a very poor year to actually observe the spawning. Like it was, it was really tough to see exactly what came in late. So just going off the Celts, I'd say there was a few fish came in late, you know, by the, by the condition of them. You mentioned angler numbers there, um, Connor. Do you think, is there kind of a sense of, because springers are so hard to come by now, that kind of anglers are just not, are not as inclined in the early days to be kind of coming out kind of thing, Asher, look, I'll hold on until later in the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, social media has made the world a really small place and they wait until someone puts a picture of a fish up and then it's, right, let's, have, let's go. You know, so it's, um, yeah, people tend to hang back a little bit now this year and the last couple of years are the same. Um, but we would often have really high water in February and it can be tough um, to actually fish in comfort. So, um, yeah, guys would hold off for a little bit, maybe, if there was really good water conditions. And because the other thing you got to remember is the black water is about 100 miles long. And we've had a really mild spell there with the last couple of weeks. Um, so if there was a couple of fish sneaking into the system, which I'm sure there is, it's trying to find a needle in a haystack. So... They're not just confined to the lower river. If you had low water and really cold temperatures, the only barrier is in Clondaland. It's the only weir on the river that's left on the river. And that is a temperature barrier. So the fish would come in, they'd come as far as that, and they'd wait for higher water and warmer temperatures to actually navigate up that. But physically, they can't get over it. The muscles won't work. Um, but with the warmer water, fish can be spread anywhere in the system. So you need the water to be down to fairly good fishable level to get you covering the lies. You're, you're, you're covering specific lies for spring fish and they're different to grills. And what you're doing is you're hunting an individual fish or maybe two fish. You know, um, Springers generally aren't really shoal fish. You get one or two or maybe three usually. So you're looking for the little pod that's sitting on the lies. So the best practice when you come onto the river Know where the lies are. You gotta know where the lies are, and you gotta hit the lies, and you gotta bang, bang, bang. Cover as much water as possible, as many lies as possible, 
Um, and that is probably the secret to, to finding the fish. To be able to do that, you have to have reasonable conditions. Um, if you've got high water later in the year, quite a number of fish in the river and they're running. So if you're fishing the tail of a pool, you're fishing for running fish, and there's a high chance your fly will, will swing past or <clears throat> at least encounter fish. But at this time of year, there's not many in it. So you could be fishing the tail of a pool for two days without a fish passing you. Um, so it makes life tough. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you got to have good conditions, hit the lies, and that's what people, I would say, are, are really waiting for. And is there spinning done on the beats you um, have there, Connor? Yeah, I do allow spinning. Um, like, this is the time of year for it, isn't it, really? Well, yeah, but I mean, modern fly tackle has advanced so much that you can actually uh, fly fish with sinking lines in shooting heads quite comfortably. True. Um, especially with mono running line, you have the control you have. Um, the mono running line, like, okay, let's start this from the start, okay? <laughs> We're getting into tactics now. No, no, that's, this is what people want. <laughs> so, A, <laughs> we have to... All the secrets. Well, A, we have to presume the fish are there. <laughs> B, we have to yeah. know where the lies are. And then C, we'll have the, the tactics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's say you got good water. Um, and you know there's a couple of lies there through experience. <clears throat> With the sinking lines, um, usually you use a mono running line. Okay, it's super skinny, it's super slick. Sinking lines are that much thinner than floaters that they actually cast through the air that much easier. So you don't need as much resistance from your running line to turn them over, which actually makes your life super easy because your casting stroke becomes slower and much easier, much less effort. Okay, so you get your cast, do your cast. Okay, at this time of year, you're looking to present a reasonably large fly deep and slow. Okay. So you're talking about usually a full sinking head as opposed to a versi tip, right? Um, so you cast out, you have that mono running line, you lift up your rod tip. And if you want to slow down your fly, all you do is point your rod tip out into the river. That's going to slow it down. And because you have all that mono running line out of the water, it pretty much is like pressing the pause button on the, on the shooting head. You can hang it on the lie. And then, if you're just coming onto the light, move the rod tip back towards your own bank, hang it on the light, and then you move it off. Chocolate biscuit syndrome. <laughs> Want a chocolate biscuit? No, thanks. Put it up on the table and see how long it lasts. <laughs> so that's the secret. So, <laughs> yeah. But like I say, with the modern gear, you can, you can present the fly in a manner that's really effective early season. Um, you can still spin. Um, the reason I, I love spinning on, on the beats is, number one, if you've got younger um, fishermen, younger anglers looking to go out, you can't have them in cold water or high water all the time. And they need to fish and they need to catch a few fish. Uh, and it's the same at the other end of the spectrum. If you have older people that are out angling, they, they're not able to wade in heavy flows. So you got to give them something to do as well. And I, I don't have a problem with it. Um, so fly and spin. And but have you noticed though, like because of the development of um, fly angling equipment, that spinning is starting to drop off. Yeah, I don't think it's because of the developments in 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 tackle. I would say that the spinning is kind of is dropping off because people are actually more aware of the gear that they're using. Okay. Yeah. Um, like fly fishing was kind of when I was a kid, fly fishing was viewed as a little bit elitist. Um, yeah. 
and and that sort of stuff. So we I spoke for years, and um, it was a great way of covering water. Um, but the gear evolved, and the last ten years, people have become much more aware of the gear and, and the different gear. Um, it's advancing all the time, but they're just like general anglers would probably be about five years behind where the cutting edge of tackle is. Mm. But they're more aware of it. Social media, articles, people like yourselves doing interviews and stuff like that makes them more aware of the gear. So they know what they should be looking at. Isn't it brilliant, though, that you can actually use the fly rod for the whole season pretty much any conditions nowadays? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, like, I'm involved with loop tackling and, and I help out with design development the lines there. And every time I ring Klaus Freemore, it's about an hour and a half on the phone with him. Right? <laughs> um, we're always trying to make life easier for the angler and life more appealing for the angler. So that's what the end game is with the fly rod. I remember when I first picked up a Skagit rod and I couldn't get over the ease of shooting out a line. I was like, that was easy. <laughs> You know, you don't have to be, um, and that's the great thing I think about it when you do introduce it. Now, I know some people poo-poo the kind of, you know, the, the, the snobbish attitude towards it. But I think in terms of getting people started in fly fishing, it's, it, it just makes it so much easier for them, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, The skagits have a place, shooting heads have a place, spay lines have a place. Like I was even listening to your podcast with Neil, um, Neil O'Shea, on the tactics that they use from the boat. Well, I, I fish Quran a good bit years ago myself but I haven't fished it now in a number of years but um, they would fish the integrated line on the double hand rows of the boat and if you arrived down with your skadget or your shooting as head, I have done kind of looking out over the top of the glasses at you as if to say <laughs> what are you doing yeah so uh, all this gear has a place it's just knowing where it's applicable for us the Scandi shooting heads are, are probably the most practical. I know some people use skadgets earlier in the season, but personally, I don't think there's a need for them. Like, we're not fishing huge intruder-style flies. We're fishing tubes, maybe inch and a half, two-inch tubes, which you can turn over with a, a Scandi head and, and an appropriate leader, a short leader, tapered leader. Um, so you, you can do it all with Scandi, Scandi heads and have the casting stroke suit to make your life as easy as possible. You don't need to be flailing away with a... 65 foot Karen on the sink too it, it, it is it is much easier and much more doable for people nowadays like, you know? no definitely definitely so in terms of um springers on the blackwater like when like when do you start to expect the first ones being caught like is it in the first few weeks or is it getting later like I, I think of the drows where you know now I know in fairness they caught one uh, on a flying sea um I think it was the last week the end of January is are you noticing it getting later with the blackwater in terms of when springers are being caught um, yeah, like, I mean, the concentration of the run is definitely getting later. Um, I think that's the general trend around the country. But there, there you would expect a few fish to be sneaking in. I, I would go so far as to say there's fish sneaking into the black water 12 months of the year. Yeah, it's just finding them. Because, yeah, because uh, I've caught fish myself in, in February and you kind of look at them to go, uh, did it spawn? Didn't it spawn? Was it was it a fish that came in in December or January or you know? So um, there's fish coming in twelve months of the year. You start to see a few fish in February, uh, really really scattered. That's why, as we spoke about a while ago, you need the conditions really right to find them. But then it starts to build a little bit in March. Um, you would expect the main run of our springers to be around about the third week of March. Okay. So but after after Paddy's 
Yeah, they should be spread out through the river by Paddy's Day. You know, um, you get an odd one here and there before that, but they tend to be spread out through the river by Paddy's Day. Um, then April tends to be quite enough, especially in the second half of April. Um, then we get another run of fish. They're not springers. They're built differently and they're bigger. Um, we kind of run into May fish then, and those fish run on into June and July, but they're not springers. A lot of people will call them springers in May, but our, our ones anyway. They're different. They're not the same. They're built differently and everything. Our springers are quite small by by standards. Uh, six to ten would be about the goal of it. Mm-hmm. Anything over than that for a springer is pretty decent on the black water, you know. And what about the May ones? What size are they? Uh, so the May fish, yeah, the average size would be slightly higher. I would say the eight to twelve, fourteen, um, with a decent number in the high teens and, a, and an odd one shoving on for twenty. Mm. It's strange that, isn't it, that you have this kind of different type that's in the May. Like you said, it is different to the Springers. Like, it's have we ever got to the bottom of that? No, no, um, nobody really has. Um, but we we used to get, well, we still get the grills run after those May fish. Then we used to get another run of fish in September. And that run used to go right the way through till sometimes into December. I've seen fresh fish run in the black water in the second week of December. Now there's a bit of a gap, so you, our, our our runs in September and October have dwindled and there's a gap there from the end of the grills run, but there's still a late run of fish that come in till end of October, start of November. And usually those fish don't come all the way up the river, they stay lower down. So our springers that come in first go all the way to the top of the river, depending on conditions how fast they get there. Then they'll stay at the top. And then the runs of fish that come behind will back up and fill up the river. So for the first few weeks, is it really a case of, you know, we're February into March, it's only a couple of weeks to bodies. It's really a case of people are just dusting down the cobwebs, you know, going out and hope rather than expectation and maybe fine-tuning and finessing what needs to be done before the, the real run kicks in then? Yeah, pretty much. Um, everybody likes to get out um, after after the winter. They get out and, and like you say, blow off the cobwebs. Uh, maybe get some of the new gear that they got for Christmas out and give it a, a, a test drive as such. And, um, there's the social side of things as well, to catch up with people yeah. after the winter and see how things are going. And, and you know, you enjoy your day out. If you bump into a fish, it's a bonus. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we spoke to you last, tail end of last year, after, after the end of the season last year, Connor, and um, as we all know, everywhere, wasn't the Blackwater everywhere? 2023 was a disaster. Mm-hmm. We're into 2024. What's the hopes for you? It's easier to be more positive maybe at the start of the season, but are we seeing any kind of maybe tentative signs when you look at the, you know, the first fish of the season caught in the drows and the end of January, there was a fish caught as well up in, um, I forget the name of the river, it was caught on fairly, what was it, the first few days? Yeah, up in the Watts Pool in the Linen. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so look, um, there are, positive signs there. There's been a number of fish caught in Scotland this week as well, once the water dropped back a bit. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're, we're salmon anglers. We're eternal optimists <laughs> by, by nature. You, ha- you have to be. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there, there's, there are signs there that, you know, it, 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 hopefully, I hope that last year was a blip and a one-off to that extent. There's no, there's no denying the general trend, 
But I mean, the downturn that we saw last year, I, I really hope that it was a one-off because up until then, there was nothing to suggest that. So you're saying the general trend would suggest that we should bounce back again this year to a degree. So signs are good. Um, there's good water there at the moment. We have plenty of water. So if there is fish in the system, like I say, I, I would say there is. How many fish are in the system is a different thing, but they should be moving up through the system. We are due a cold spell at the end of this week. That's right, yeah. And that would be no harm. And I wouldn't mind seeing some cold weather to drop the river off and get the fish to sit on the lights. And they'd be much easier to find. In that respect, then the next next week, then as a result of the colds, good time to get out then. Definitely. If the river drops off, um, once it gets down up here, if it gets below 1.6 on the gauge here in Kilavolum, um, I wouldn't pay too much heat to the temperature. The temperature would dictate the tactics, mm-hmm. but um, there's been enough water there that fish will have come over Weir and Carysville, and you will be able to find them once it drops back. So if it drops back to that kind of height, it's time to, to grab the gear and the flask and, and, and give it a go. No excuse. And like you said, we're eternal optimists. You know, one half of me is thinking, you know, like I'm thinking about the, the marine heat wave last year. Jesus, if you get that again, you know, the knock on result. I can't even go there. Just, you know, get through the spring, you know, have happy thoughts and uh, hit the summer with <laughs> hopefully uh, more hope this time around, I think. Um, before I let you go, Connor, you're just back from Patagonia. Tough life you've got. Tell us. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I met, met a guy, I actually guided him in Sweden a few years ago, um, Diego Castillo, and uh, he's managing a fishery down in Patagonia on Rio Gachegas, um, Bella Sofia Lodge. It's closed for a good few years, but they opened it again last year, um, so this is the second year it's up and running, and he invited me down, he said, come on down, you have to come down and bring a group of guys, and we'll have the crack, it'll be great, and blah, blah. So I just said, you know what, life is too short. Right. <laughs> so got a bunch of lads together. Um, we headed off down and we had a ball. <laughs> so we, we, we won't go into numbers because it's a bit... <laughs> I do, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> Boast okay, and brag, right. go on. Right, well, it's written in the book. Um, so I have pictures to back this up. But um, we, we weren't really counting sea trout under five pounds. But we had 36 fish between us for the week. Um, the biggest was 16.25 well I mean it, it was 80 centimetres long and it was 49 centimetres around uh, they're, they're built like tuna but we were doing a bit of trout fishing as well and no we did catch some by accident while we were sea trout fishing but you're fishing with nymphs some of the time so you're bound to but we did get a lot by design on dry flies on grasshoppers and ants and stuff like that and we had 331 brown trout to 7 pounds for the week how many of you are fishing? Six. <laughs> ah, you must have got bored with it. <laughs> By the 200th fish, at least. It sounds terrible, but we arrived on the first day and we got a couple of brown trout, about three pounds by accident while sea trout fishing, because you do this kind of introductory session on, on a Saturday, a couple of hours, just to get your head around the wind and stuff, you know? Mm. And the guides that were there were kind of treating these three pounds as, you know, shit. We were looking at them going, can I get a photograph? And then it's gone. And, but by the end of the week, we were doing the same thing. <laughs> it's like par. You're just trying to get them yeah. off the rock. <laughs> it's got, oh, no, it's only about three pounds. Never mind. Oh, my God. 
And Kibir, what was the the kind of si- decent size of the brown trout you're getting? Uh, so they were up to up to about seven pounds. Was probably about the best we had. Um, but a lot of trout between kind of three, four, five pounds. Fabulous. Just must be. Yeah, just I mean, yeah, it's it, it's it's crazy. It's not really to be honest, and it would ruin you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to go back to reality after that. Like, <laughs> it, it was quite interesting because. Um, most of the guys that were down there, um, we did this for like one session, which is probably about four hours fishing. And for the first hour and a half, it was mad. You thought you were the best angler uh, on the planet. <laughs> then you kind of realized, no, no, it's not me. It's, it's just nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so the guys were kind of going, yeah, we've done that now. That's a bit easy. Let's go back to the sea show. <laughs> you nearly go. So you're so so for kind of a bit of a break, you're kind of just going back to the brown trout to catch four, five, six pound brown trout just for. A- yeah, 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 yeah. Like you have a morning session um, at the sea show, and then you're supposed to have a siesta. But I mean, the likes of us going down there, it's a bucket list job. So you don't want a siesta. You want to go back out and fish. So we went out and fished for brown trout during the siesta in this sort of business, and, <laughs> and we did tell by the end of the week. Yeah, was um, every was it was. Phenomenal. Was that your first time Patagonia? First time in Patagonia, first time down there. Um, I like that. I met Diego a couple of years ago, and he, he kept inviting me down. So I said, I just I have to go down and see it. Lived up to expectations. Definitely for me, anyway. And and even the guys I was talking to, they all said the same thing, anyway. So and is it okay? You've you've crossed it off the list, but would you go back? Hundred percent, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have, the, have, have the week saved again for next year. <laughs> Enough said. Does the wife know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She's well used to me now at this stage. She deserves a Nobel Peace Prize, but anyway. <laughs> and um, the sea trout fishing. Just tell me a bit more about that. Like, obviously, the conditions. Um, everybody goes on about the wind. Is it? Are you back casting? Is it into the? How did? How did you deal with? Well, obviously, you're probably well used in terms of your casting ability, but in terms of an average angler going down there. So you need the wind. First day you arrive and the wind is howling down the river. So most of the fishing that they have is right bank fishing. So you're doing a double spay or some version of it. Um, kind of a sustained anchor cast is what you're looking for with that wind. But um, after you do the introduction and definitely after the first day, you kind of figure it out to use the wind. Yes, yes. The wind is your friend. So you, you, you would adapt your style of casting to use the wind and get the presentation. Um, if the wind changes, it's very rarely, it's mostly a southwesterly there that comes down the river. But if it changes, um, you really do need to use the wind. The, the problem would be if you had um, a light wind and was coming up the river. Um, you would want to really use it uh, to aid your presentation. You'd want to be on your best side if you're right-handed and maybe you head to the left bank and fish the pools from that side so that your casting is as good as it can be and the flight turns over because those fish are super spooky. We had a couple of days with, with very little wind in the middle of the day. And if you walk 10 foot away from the bank and you're walking up along the bank, all you could see was the Vs from the fish moving out from the undercuts, moving out into the river. They picked up on the vibrations, so they're... They're, they're not easy. So thank um, God for the wind in many respects. Yeah. By the end of the week, you're going, oh, come on, wind, will you pick up a bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, uh, you said you'd be cursing. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah you, you need it. Um, but it, it's quite technical fishing on Rio Gallegos. Um, Rio Grande, I've never fished it, but um, I believe it's it's a little bit different in the sense it's narrower, but there's a, 
much stronger flow and it's a deeper river. Um, Rio Gallegos is very interesting fishing. It's quite technical. You need to have your, your fishing cap on as such and think about what you're doing. Um, if you have kind of higher water, colored water, your your leash patterns during the day will work way fine, your, your chartreuse and stuff like that. But when it clears up, unless you have a strong wind, it's all about the last hour and a half of daylight. And when you, you, you change from fishing size 10, size 12 nymphs or EMBs during the light or early evening, you change from that to end up to a six inch leech pattern. So is it just as the light's changing, they're coming on the hunt? Yeah, it, it's the very same sort of attributes that you'd see with the siege out here. Yeah. The same same sort of stuff, um, but they're just super-sized, like, I mean. Were you just, um, the first time you got it, like, previous to that, had you got, you know, you know, fish in Iceland or ever, like, big sea trout before, like, similar? Oh, my, my biggest sea trout before I went, about seven pounds. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you were hitting so, double um, figures, like. Yeah. So um, I had sixteen point two five, but I don't. Know. So I mean, they're they're definitely something special. But <clears throat> I I think I said it to the guys as well. There was one day that really stuck with me over there. Um, I was fishing with a mate of mine, um, Mark, and the first first session in the morning, he had a fish of fifteen point seven, and that evening I had one of sixteen point two five. Two sea trout between us for a day that was over thirty pounds. The chances of doing that again in your lifetime are fairly slim, especially when you're out with a mate, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that That's phenomenal fishing. And have the rest of it, you have herds of llamas running around the place, you have rias running around the place, flocks of flamingos flying up and down the river. No reception, zero phone reception, which is a blessing. Yes. <laughs> and um, great, great Malbec. Well, yeah, I'm not a wine man. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, um, it's just the whole package was just fantastic. Like, I mean, the lodge was second to none as well. Um, so it's it's right up there. I've been around the block and it's right up there. Anybody I talk to, that's, yeah, it's just, like you said, it's the whole package between the fishing, the lodge, the food, the wine, whatever you're into. Um, it's it's one of those you just have to do it at least once. And then when you do it, you want to keep going back, I presume. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, even from, from the lodge point of view, um, you'd walk in in the evening and your ghee was there. and It's just, do you want a pint? Do you want a coffee? Do you want a Coke? It was that you wanted for nothing. Um, and then when you went out with the guides, the three guides, so the way it works is with six rods, you have uh, one guide for two days and then you rotate. So you would have each guide for two days and uh, fantastic guides. Um really professional but great crack at the same time like the irish are kind of known for their banter and the lads that are out there are well able, well able like so definitely no it's it's on the list and like i said you'll be going back so uh it's it's obviously struck a chord um it, i was going to ask you right is and maybe i know the answers to this i was going to ask you we asked you before for your most memorable fish on the fly so i was going to ask you what was your most memorable fish on that trip it had to be in the 16 pounder was it yeah, um, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the small nymph, little bead head nymph. No, I was fishing a double handed rod, um, 13 to 8 weight. 8 weight, okay. Yeah, and um, <laughs> had me well into the backing. I had to come up onto the bank and leg it down the bank after the fish. And um, like I say, I've been around the block as well a bit, and um, it takes a fair old fish to do to do that, like you know, heart, heart uh, in the middle, jump several times. So, yeah. 
it's fantastic. And uh, then I got a sneaky little comment from the was playing the fish. He just came up behind me and put his hand on my back and he says, real anglers land the fish themselves. <laughs> so I said, that's fine. I can manage that. Yeah, yeah, no do. problem. Yeah, I just reached it and went over to it and looked at it and it was like, Mad. Brilliant, brilliant. We'll put up so people can see it and uh, whet their appetites. Connor Arnold, um, thanks a million for joining us. Um, from what you're saying is maybe you never know after this cold spell, might be a good time to get out onto the black water. I would, as soon as the levels drop so that you can cover a good bit of the river, get out, exercise the, the, the shoulders a little bit, and you never know. Exactly, you never know. It's 2024, you never know. So fingers crossed. Connor Arnold, thanks again for joining us. Thanks a million, Dara. My thanks to Connor Arnold for joining me on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Flight podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram and myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.